Welcome to episode 260 of the All the Book Show, the official podcast of the David A. Howe Public Library. We talk book news, author news, and literary news. I'm Eric Pickles. I'm Nick Gunning. How's We're not it? really talking about any of those things today, though. We're not? I guess it's author not news. Author news, news, literary news. Mm. Well... Uh, our segment today is a special library book club episode where Jessica Weisscheck. Book news that. Yeah, Jessica Weisscheck is going to join us for our first ever Star Trek book club. We're talking about Diane Duane's Dark Mirror, a little foray for the Next Generation cast into uh, the Mirror Universe, something that the show never did. And Diane is a pretty prolific author in her own right, so we get a little into her background. We had a good time with it. What's new with you? Anything exciting? Going down? Whoa! Huh. I mean, that was exciting. So what's. That person me a pussycat. Oh, yeah. Uh, anything exciting? Yeah. Anything huh. new you want to report? Know. You still playing uh, the guitar? Yeah, I'm still p- practicing. I mean, I'm just, it's bad. I, I put it down for a while. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I, I had to pick it back up, and I was like a novice all over again, having to, uh, I mean, I've never gone beyond novice, but it was kind of like, I got to remember how to switch from C mm. to G. What's the F chord? Yeah. What's the F minor chord? Yeah. But it, it's it getting better. And then I was like, oh, right, these are the scales and stuff, so... Uh, you know, if I can ever so go back, back to a world where I could take physical, yeah. like, unless, I guess now it's all digital. Maybe I should just look into that. Yeah. Um, That's true. Yeah, but, you probably could, yeah. especially now that you have the basics, you know? Yeah. You probably could take the next level digitally. Um. What a time to be alive, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, nothing, nothing else too crazy. Okay. Same for so, me. Yeah. I've got, I've got an aunt in town celebrating her 80th birthday, so I want to give a special birthday shout out to Aunt Nancy. Happy Woo. birthday, 80 years. My yeah. son my son said, hey, that's the same age as Ringo Starr. And I felt like, now I've known that I've succeeded as a parent. He knows how old Ringo Starr is. Yes, because Ringo Starr just had a big 80th birthday, much like Aunt Nancy. So I don't, think, I don't think Aunt Nancy's party is going to be quite as star-studded as Ringo's was, but it should be a good time. should be a good time. I've never heard her play the drums either, but we'll find out. We'll find out how mm-hmm. that goes. Uh, what do you say we get into a little bookmark? First thing I'll say is that a couple days ago I watched The Age of Innocence, okay. uh, Martin Scorsese film yes. starring Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis, mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer, and oh, Nona Ryder. Uh huh. Good cast. Um, this was on the Criterion Channel. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's based on the novel, the 1920 novel by Edith Wharton, which I've never read. <laughs> but I like how so, you said it. You said it with a little panache. Thank you. I like that. Wharton. Uh, I, I think anybody who thinks they, I think like a Scorsese fan was like, oh, I love Goodfellas. Oh, I love Taxi Driver. Oh, I love Gangs in New York. Like they'd be a little surprised by mm. the Age of Innocence. Yeah. Because it is very much like a literary movie. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it's very much just like these actors performing a lot of the camera and background is just about how elegant and ridiculous this kind of lifestyle is where everything is an excess and everything is silver and gold. It's just ridiculous. But yeah, um, I can't really compare it to the novel, but it's a good movie, even though it's not normally my type of jam. It's just okay. about this guy deciding he might want to be with another woman, but he can't because it is an age of innocence. Oh uh, yes. Yeah, that'll get you every time. Yes. Anyways, watch that. Still reading Wheels of Time five. Okay. And how's read... your how's your chapter a day situation? Are you, are not, you great. You're not, not good. You're not good. You're not doing it. Not okay. not on track. Okay. I also read a graphic novel called Astonishing X Men Storm, and this is by Eric Jerome Dickey. Oh, uh, interesting. Came out around 
2006. It's always so interesting you when, like, a best-selling author is like, I'll try my yeah. comics. Thinking of, like, Jody Pickle doing Wonder Woman or Brad yep. Meltzer picking up uh, Green Arrow, you know, or, or yeah. Ta- Ta-Nehisi Coates with uh, Black Panther or Captain America. Yeah. How did yeah, it sometimes... work? How did it translate from uh, novelist to comic book author? He was fine. Like, the, the story is fine and everything. It's just kind of retconning the relationship. This is what Marvel put out to explain their connection with Storm and Black Panther getting married uh, in the comics around this time, little right before Civil War. So it, it's kind of a retcon on their history. But if you don't care about continuity, then the story's fine. Okay. So it's only when you really care about continuity that things get kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you're interested in Storm, Black Panther, the two of them together the possibilities that they might be together or have interactions in this Disney owns the X-Men universe, you know, uh, might be worth picking it, picking up. Or I, guess I don't if, know if you've read all of Eric Jerome Dickey's other stuff, I guess yeah, I don't here's, know. here's the place to go. Yeah. I was productive this week. There were several books that have been on my shelf for a long time or books that I've been working through. And I was like, this, I'm, this is the week. So <laughs> I read Jesse Stone night and day. This is the, there's only one more Robert Parker penned Jesse Stone book after this so I'm, I'm reaching the end i've got a lot of spencer books but now i've read all of parker's uh sunny randall i've only got one more jesse stone uh and those are really the series that i like the best so i'm kind of sad to see the parker era end and this was interesting because parker discontinued sunny randall after spare change and she and jesse stone had been like crossing over and now sunny and some of her supporting characters it seemed like parker was setting up that Sonny and Spike and a few characters from the Sonny Randall series would be recurring characters in Jesse Stone now that they've mm-hmm. kind of discontinued that series. Um, but there's only one book after this, so it's hard to know what Parker would have done. But mm. both, both series were eventually picked up by other authors. So uh, Jesse Stone has gone through several authors now. Uh, Reed Farrell Coleman, Michael Brandis, uh, and now Mike Lupica. Uh, writes that and then Mike Lupica also has done two Sonny Randall books and he's he's a big YA author that's usually what I associate Lupica with he writes those Mm. those sports books right oh yes 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 yeah yeah so I haven't read those yet but uh it's it's sad to say that it's the penultimate uh, Robert Parker Jesse Stone I read uh, finished Camino Wins by John Grisham Yay! And this was this was kind of middle of the road because Aww. yeah, Camino Island was all about stolen manuscripts that are you know they're being chased around. It's a very like white collar kind of plot, you know. Uh huh. And so it made sense that the setting was like a bookstore in Florida, and you know, all, all out in the sun. It, that worked really well. This one was like a weird hybrid of a traditional Grisham story and the Camino Island setting, because what it is. The, the Bruce Cable, who's the bookstore owner, who was a character in the first book, has a friend on the island who's a former lawyer who writes like legal thrillers, basically. And the hurricane comes, that writer dies, and they, they figure out that his unpublished book was about pharmaceutical companies pumping patients who are comatose, who, who don't have any response, who are just a beating heart, pumping them full of pharmaceuticals that keeps them alive longer than they naturally would be to get more money out of Medicaid and the families and things. Once right. it switches to that plot full time, it just stops being anything to do with Camino Island. And then it's like a weird hybrid between the Camino Island, sunny, like beachy mystery kind of vibe and a really kind of a dark Grisham story. So by the end, I was like just ready to be done. So a little disappointed on that. I read Roots, Radicals, and Rockers by Billy Bragg. So this is about like the skiffle craze that swept uh, England, really, uh, right before the Beatles hit the scene 
uh, right before rock and roll really took its roots. It's an interesting time in music history because it's this transition between like, you know, New Orleans style jazz and like, you know, big band kind of standards into more of a grungy sound. And skiffle was a kind of music that really anyone can play because it's like, you know, washboards and percussion and that sort of thing. So Skiffle wasn't like the main thing for very long, but it was a major, major influence on Lennon and McCartney and all that. So I was interested to read the book, but the problem was it, it was all fact without a lot of narration, you know? Like I, I described it as okay. if you were watching a documentary and it was just a series of clip, 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 clip without any sort of person being like, you see, at this time in the 1960s, everyone was. So it was just like it was too tightly focused, I think, to be a very enjoyable read. Uh, and then finally, I read a book called Naomi by Brian Michael Bendis. This is a new graphic novel series. Uh, this was called Naomi Season 1, and it's about a girl in a small town who starts to realize that maybe the mysteries of her past lie outside of this world. Uh, so it's a good slow burn mystery, and I'm looking forward to the next bit. I'm currently reading A Stab in the Dark by Lawrence Block. This is book four in his Matthew Scudder series. So Matt Scudder is like a former cop who is now sort of an unlicensed PI. People bring him problems, and he looks into the problems if he feels like it. But uh, I'm like I'm liking that so far. It's been a good series. It started really strong. Uh, the movie Walk Among the Tombstones with Liam Neeson a few years back. Oh, yeah, that's supposed to be a good one. It, it, it is a good one, and it's based on, I think, book 10 in this series. So I'm not there yet, but I did enjoy that movie as well. As far as okay. what I watched, on Netflix I watched An Innocent Man based on John Grisham's only nonfiction book about um, a couple of murders that the wrong person was convicted and spent time in jail uh, in Ada, Oklahoma, and it, it looks at the system that put them there and how that happened and how it continues to happen. So it was a, a dark and heavy uh, watch. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for me. Okay. So I told you. I pounded through a lot of stuff this week. So <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? Uh, should we take a look at some book news? Book news! Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. I want to mention to you first that the Booker Prize long list has been announced. Uh, I, know, ah. I know every morning, Eric, you're getting up, you're, you're thumbing through the newspaper trying to find the Booker long list. Well, your wait is over. Here they are. Finally. The list was chosen from 160. Sick of that long 60, list. I know. 162 novels published in the UK or Ireland between October 1st, 2019 and September 30th, 2020. The Booker Prize for Fiction is open to writers of any nationality writing in English and published in the UK or Ireland. The 13 novels are The New Wilderness by Diane Cook, The Mournable Body by Tassidi Dangeramba, Burnt Sugar by Avni Doshi, Who They Was by Gabrielle Krause, The Mirror in the Light by Hilary Mantel, A Paragon by Colin McCann, The Shadow King by Maza McGinsey, such a fun age by Kylie Reed, and that's been a bestseller uh, over here quite a bit too. That we can yeah, that yeah, up on the, the list. babysitter one. Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart, Real Life by Brandon Taylor, Redhead by the Side of the Road by Ann Tyler, Love and Other Thought Experiments by Sophie Ward, How Much of These Hills Is Gold by C. Pam Zhang. So that's the long list now. Uh, we'll be back when they narrow it down to a short list, and we'll uh, of course let you know the winner. As you may or may not remember, last year's Booker Prize was a bit of a contentious thing because they chose two books, uh, something that they don't do. And one of the books they chose was the the, the Testaments, I want to say, the sequel to Handmaid's Tale by Margaret yes. Atwood. So there was a lot of criticism. That was lame. 
a lot of criticism directed towards that decision. So we'll see how it plays out again this year. But uh, mm -hmm. what's on the bestseller list right now? Maybe some of the books I just mentioned. Well, The Guardians at number 10 by John Grisham. Colin Post, a lawyer and Episcopal minister, antagonizes some ruthless killers. He takes on a wrongful conviction case. Number nine is American Dirt by Jan uh, Janine Cummings. Uh, bookseller flees Mexico for the United States with her son while pursued by the head of a drug cartel. Number eight, Peace Talks by Jim Butcher, the 16th book in the Dresden series. Chicago's only professional wizard tries to keep the peace during a summit of the supernatural nations of the world. Uh, number seven is new this week's Axiom's End by Lindsay Ellis. Cora Sabino finds herself caught between her estranged whistleblower father and the extraterrestrials have been living here for decades. So what? Huh. Okay. That was number one? No, what? That was only number eight, seven. Oh, okay. Oh, you stopped. The way you stopped made me think, okay, what is that one about? Cora Sabino finds herself caught between her estranged whistleblower father and the extra extraterrestrials who have been living here for decades? No, no, I, okay. No, I guess I heard that. I just, I was surprised by that synopsis. I thought there was more. But That's okay. it. All right, all right. I'm with you. Number six, 28 Summers by Ellen Hildebrand, a relationship that started in 1993 between Malaroy Blessings and Jake McLeod, comes to light while she is on deathbed and his wife runs for president. Uh, number five, The Guest List by Lucy Foley, a wedding between a TV star and a magazine publisher on an island off the coast of Ireland turns deadly. Uh oh. Number four, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, the lives of twin sisters who run away from the southern black community at age 16, diverge. As one returns and the other takes on different racial identity, but their fates intertwine. Number three, Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. In a quiet town on the North Carolina coast in 1969, a young woman who survived alone in the marsh becomes a murder suspect. Number two, The Order, uh, Danielle Silva, uh, 20th book in the Gabriel Allen series. The art restorer and spy cuts his family's vacation short to investigate whether Pope Paul the Eighth was murdered. Nope, the seventh was murdered <laughs> okay all right uh number one new this week near dark by brad thor mm. 19th book in the scott ha haverth series mm, with the bounty on his head haverth makes an alliance with a norwegian intelligent operative not a fan of brad hey, thor of brad thor uh, hey man speaking of things i'm not a big fan of uh you mentioned where the crawdads sing again that's going to be one of our book club picks here at the david a howe public library Wahoo! Uh, that's going to be a book club pick that we're going to do outside on the front lawn. Part of the reason why we're doing that one is because, well, I mean, when it was all the rage, we wanted to, and all the books were constantly checked out, so never could we have gotten enough books to fill right. a book club. Uh, but now, since it's one that everybody's read, it's an easy one that we can do for book club, and then people can come whether they you know, are, are currently placing holds on things or not, because likely the people who would want to come to that book club have already read Where the Crawdads Sing, so... Uh, we're going to be discussing that out on the front lawn with, uh, you know, prepackaged snacks and masks and social distance. So you can join us for a book club here at the David A. Howe Public yeah. Library. Before that, though, of course, we're doing a book club on Dark Mirror by Diane Duane. Uh, I asked yeah, take Eric, that, crawdads. I asked Eric if, uh, if he wanted to join us on this little book club, and uh, he politely declined with regrets. And uh, that's... Uh, that's... <laughs> wow. No, it's okay. It's all right. I, I, think, all right. I, I don't think you would have enjoyed the book. That might be I I don't true. think you would have. So I, I do I do think you made the right decision. But I knew somebody who would. 
and she was all too eager to sign up to do our first Star Trek book club. Jessica Westick is the auditorium coordinator at the David A. Howe. Come on down! Library. <laughs> uh, she's she also... Uh, no, no, she's not. She's Just a minute. She's be, she'll be here. Uh, she's also one of the Star Trek fans on staff. It's really, it's me, it's Jessica, and it's Malik. Just the three of us. So Jess, uh, join me for this book club, and we thought we'd do a little pre-discussion here on the All the Book Show, so let's get to it. All the Books presents Author Spotlight. Jessica, welcome back to the All the Book Show. How, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right. This month for our book club, we're this is the first time we've ever done a Star Trek book. So we, we're doing a Dark Mirror by Diane Duane. Now, this is have you ever read a Star Trek book before? I have not. Okay. Your Star Trek fandom does go back a ways. Yes, it does. What was the first Star Trek you remember seeing? Next Gen. Oh, really? I caught it on DVD. As back oh, when really? I did the Netflix DVD okay. Wow, okay. <laughs> so I just ended up doing the whole series. Nice. All right. And so is that the only one you've seen all the way through, the uh, Next Gen? Nope. I've seen um, Voyager, DS9, a little bit of Enterprise. I caught that when my husband was watching it and then got into it a little bit. Okay. But I haven't really seen much of the original series. Oh, okay. Bad. Yeah, you know, I was I was always such a fan of the original movies, and I hadn't really like sat down and watched through the whole original series uh, up until a few years ago. My wife and I just kind of pounded through the whole thing, and it was much better than I expected it to be. Honestly, I thought it was going to be just so cheesy that it wasn't really enjoyable. But no, I I mean, I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. Are you a fan of the movies? Right. Once again, haven't seen much of the original Star yeah. Trek ones, but I love the next gen first movies. contact and and all that yeah yeah okay. that's actually my favorite <laughs> all right well yeah i mean that's a first contact is fun but it's also so different from anything else that happens it's like yeah let's make a bruce willis movie starring the crew of star trek so <laughs> you know <Right. laughs> so that's kind of jarring so let's talk a little bit about this book so i got a little background on the author here diane duane is uh i mean she's an incredibly prolific author she's a novelist and she's a screenwriter um, she has a really long-running series called The Young Wizards, which is uh, like a junior junior level or YA fantasy series that is pretty popular. And actually, we have quite a few of those on Overdrive, if anybody's interested. So she does a lot of original work uh, and then also writes within established universes. So she has novels from Marvel things like Spider-Man or X-Men. She novelized episodes of uh, Sequest. She wrote a lot of Tom Clancy's Netforce. She did XCOM, many, many more. She's also a screenwriter. She wrote a lot for Hanna-Barbera. Uh, Disney. She wrote for Star Trek Next Gen. Like she wrote some of the episodes. Uh, she wrote for Batman the Animated Series, Gargoyles the Animated Series. So a very prolific author. And even within the Star Trek world, she has kind of a unique place because she has this series called Star Trek Rihansu, which is a it's a Romulan series. And they don't often do a lot of subsets within the novels. Because the novels are pretty strict about what you're allowed to do, you know, like for a long time when we had uh, we interviewed David Dvorkin and we interviewed Mel Gilden, both who wrote several stories uh, in in the original series and in Next Gen. And it sounds like they they had a pretty tight rein on what you could and couldn't do. So it was pretty rare to be able to have original characters that carried over from novel to novel. And I know that's something that would sort of occasionally frustrate the authors because they'd have this really cool character and they'd want to use it again in a future novel. And it would be like, no, 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 you can't bring one character from one book to the next. So Diane Duane, for whatever reason, was able to do that and has this little Romulan uh, set, which is kind of cool. 
Um, I actually haven't read those, but I have read a few of her other books. So she has probably her most famous Star Trek book is one that's called Spock's World. And it's one we have in our collection. It's almost Tolkien-esque in how it how it takes like Star Trek history because it is like a super deep dive into like Spock and Vulcans and their history from like thousands of years in the past. So I don't like that one. Are you, are you a fantasy? I mean, do you, do you read fantasy or anything like that? Yeah, okay. I go back and forth between like fantasy, sci-fi, thrillers, stuff like that. Sometimes I just get hung up on the world building. You know, when there's when there's so much that you have to learn, like just right off the bat to understand what's going on. And for me, that was like Spock's world all the way. It was just so dense that it was kind of hard to enjoy. It really felt more like reading a history book, (laughs) you know, so. But he's she's got one called uh, Doctor's Orders, where Dr. McCoy is put in charge of the Enterprise. That's a fun read. Doesn't make any sense why the doctor would ever be in charge of the Enterprise. But that's just one of those things where you just sort of have to roll with it. (laughs) Right. Uh, And she also has one called The Wounded Sky, which is an original series book that I haven't read. Her two next-gen novels are Intellivore and uh, one called Dark Mirror, which is the subject of our first ever Star Trek book club. And this was your first Star Trek book ever. So uh, what did you think? Did you like it? I did. I did, I guess because I'm familiar with the characters and stuff watching the next-gen series. So Mm -hmm. it made it enjoyable. Okay. Well... Now, I always enjoy the Mirror Universe stuff. I mean, there's there's one episode in the original series, uh, and some of the later series, like Enterprise or Discovery or Deep Space Nine, pick up the Mirror Universe stuff a little bit more. But Next Gen really never did anything with it. They don't really have an equivalent of a, a Mirror episode. No. I think as close as you'd get would be the one Yesterday's Enterprise. Do you remember that one? Where they, yes. Yeah, where they sort of travel into a dark alternate timeline, but it's not really the Mirror Universe. Uh, but that's no. a great that's a great episode though. That was good. Let me give you the synopsis of this book from Goodreads. And we'll try not to spoil things because the book club uh, is going to be on August 18th, so you still have time to come and join us. But this is just the general publisher's description. 100 years ago, four crew members of the USS Enterprise crossed the dimensional barrier and found a mirror image of their own universe, populated by nightmare duplicates of their shipmates. This is where Spock had the goatee, which is like now a thing. Every evil character has to have a goatee. Uh, barely able to escape with their lives they returned thankful that the accident which had brought them there could not be duplicated or so they thought (laughs) but now the scientists of that universe have found a doorway into our our universe their plan is to destroy from within to replace the federation starship with one of their own their victims are the crew of the uss enterprise nc1701d who now find themselves engaged in combat against the most savage enemies they've ever encountered themselves (laughs) <laughs> pretty intense, pretty intense synopsis there. Right. Uh, the book itself was sometimes hard to follow. Uh-huh. And not just with the Star Trek lingo. So I ended up doing a lot of the audio book, okay. which was even better because John Delancey read it. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So that made it even more enjoyable for okay. me. <laughs> you know, I, I know what you mean, because I was occasionally confused about which version of the characters that we were talking about, because we had... Which characters is it? It's Picard, it's Troy, and Jordy? Is it just the three? Jordy. Okay. I think those are just the three. And they find themselves on the Mirror Enterprise and are trying to sort of undo these problems. But occasionally I was like, wait, is this Mirror Picard? Is this real Picard? Yeah. Because sometimes in the conversations, it was a little hard to follow. I think especially in the audiobook, because the audiobook is a little abridged, so it's cutting out a lot of lead up to what's happening in a conversation. So that was a part that I was a little thrown now and then. Did you find that or did you not have that issue? Yeah, no, it did because it was sometimes hard to follow if one was acting like the other and yeah. stuff like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I think ultimately this... I mean, I was most intrigued by the Troy character, like the evil Troy versus like nice, calm Troy. You don't really associate her with like the big, like strong, tough, conniving kind of character. So <laughs> yeah, but seeing her like mirror, which is like the extreme of that, I thought was pretty funny. Like how intense mirror Troy was, how just like dark and evil and conniving she was. So I got a kick out of that. The one that was feared amongst all the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's such a funny twist to like go there and have Troy be the one that everybody's like, oh my gosh, Troy's coming. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just so unusual. Yeah, what we're used to. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. But I'm, I mean, Deanna Troy, do you have a favorite character from Next Gen? Because Troy is mine yeah. and everybody says I'm crazy, but Troy's always my favorite on that show. But I you, like Data and Data. I like Q as the guest star. So. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I've got the whole DVD collection of all the Q episodes oh, throughout yeah. all the Star Trek. Yep. Yeah. In the, So I listened to part of the audio book, too. It was kind of funny to have John Delancey reading it because it kept feeling like Q is watching over what's what's going on. So I would recommend the audio book. I think it's fun. Yeah. But anyway, Troy is always a character that I, I really like, and she's not featured prominently in books that often. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised that like, not only did she have something to do, but she was really, in a lot of ways, like the antagonist of this book you know like yeah, she's, she's pretty prominent yeah she's kind of the main villain i feel like the gist of the book was really more about picard coming to terms with the idea that even though this mirror picard is not him they still share some characteristics that makes him feel like do i have this in me do i have this darkness yeah. in me and i have the possibility to become this exactly so i thought that was kind of a uh, you know, I, I think that's been done before, you know, looking at the darkness within a character. I don't think that's anything particularly new, but I did kind of like the way this handled it. Yeah. There's a point where on the mirror enterprise, it gets so confusing trying to like, figure out where we are and who's where, <laughs> but on the mirror enterprise out like main real Picard goes into mirror Picard's office and sees his book collection. And it is like shockingly similar to Picard's own collection. And I did like that because I thought that that was a good way to bring out some of those similarities because that really like hits our Picard hard because he sees that and thinks, well, obviously we share a lot in common and this one just happens to be evil. So I think he really had trouble grappling with that. And I don't know that he ever really did. No, I agree that it's the same thing, especially like your book collections or something like that are very like, that's a very personal thing. Yeah. And so to have the similarities shows that like... Yeah. It freaks him out even more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's easy to dismiss that this altering universe, everybody's just evil. That's all. It's, it's just, this is just the evil versions and it's a different thing. But I think, yes, this, what you're saying here is exactly right. It's so personal. It's such a like quiet, personal touch that they, that they share the same taste in books that that really, I think more than anything else he sees, like more than the stuff with uh, what happened with the crushers and all that. I feel like that book collection, he just can't shake because it's just undeniable that there's a, that connection there. Yeah. It's kind of hard, I think, in a book like this, because you know that the mirror universe is not going to overtake the main universe. Right. Uh, so right away, some of the uh, suspense, I think, is gone, because you just have to kind of go for the ride, because you know it, you know the villains aren't going to succeed. Yeah, the general outcome's already there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I did feel like, still, even with that, it was a fun ride. Yeah. I feel like the best Star Trek books are the ones that feel like they could have been a really good episode of the series. And I think that's what this one is, yeah. you know? I was actually just going to say that because it did. It read like, I, I read like I was reading an episode of yeah. the show. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's very contained. A lot of times the books, because they're not tied down with the constraints of like a, you know, a, a TV budget, 
they can do all sorts of things that you'd never get to see in the series. And so that is cool. It's cool to explore that, but that also doesn't feel like an episode so much. But this one, because they're just relegated to one version of the Enterprise or the other, really did have that sort of tight, bottled feel uh, that a lot of the episodes have. Did the audiobook have the dolphin character? Yes. I that was a little that was a little far for me. What did what did you think Sorry. of that? Um, it was interesting to listen to it in the audiobook the way they had yeah the way he read it and stuff because it was very exactly how they read it how they said in the book it was very high pitched yeah. and very echoey yeah so so w- there's a character I don't do you remember the character's name I don't remember now we oh okay. we all right that makes sense <laughs> something a dolphin could say so that makes sense it's a uh, sentient dolphin who is just a member of the crew who's in like he's in some sort of like apparatus right like he's got some like almost like in like a like equivalent of a diving suit or something along those yeah. lines either that or he has to be like in like his water tank or something right so that i felt like was a little too much of a stretch a little what, different yeah the particular character didn't really fit yeah i feel like most of the characters were pretty sidelined in this like i don't really feel like Riker or Data uh, really had much to do. And I think we got more mirror Beverly Crusher than like real Crusher. Right. Um, which is fine. I think I think it's I think it's better when they sort of pick a character that they want to focus on uh, rather than trying to write everybody like equal scenes. I think that bogs it down a little bit. It was hard enough to go back and forth between the three that were mirror. Can you imagine the entire crew? <laughs> but I sort of felt like even within those three, Jordy didn't have much going on. No. And it was sort of... He was stuck down fixing something else. (laughs) Yeah. Were they they going for a bit of a romance with him and that character? Eileen, I think was her name. Oh, yeah. I mean, her mirror counterpart we see a lot. And then we eventually see her on the real Enterprise. And it seems like they're doing like a little hint with romance there. Did you you pick that up that or you you don't think so? No, I think you're right. Now that I'm thinking back to it. Which that's kind of like a long running joke. I feel like on Next Gen that Jordy just can't catch a break when it comes to romance. No, every there was cu- a couple different. Yeah. yeah, every couple of seasons, Jordy's falling in love with a hologram of somebody who doesn't say like that it. it. <laughs> or something. It was it's the hologram just, of the one yeah, doctor Leah or Brahms the creator or whoever the, uh, it was. Yeah, yeah, Leah <laughs> yeah. So I guess that was true to form that Jordy uh, has a, a romantic misfire even in the mirror universe. Uh, so that was that was pretty funny. I, you know, I feel like. I would I would rank this on the higher side of of Star Trek books. I feel like she did a good job capturing the characters and I felt like I feel like she picked up enough threads from the original series episode to tie in there cuz we do find out a little bit about the fate of Mirror Spock and Mirror Kirk which is left a little ambiguous um at the end of the original and you've never seen the original episode, right? No. Yeah, in that one Kirk is talking to Mirror Spock and is saying like, you know, you are in a position to actually make a positive change in this universe. Like you've got to try to do that. And that's just how they leave it. Like Kirk makes a plea to mirror Spock to try to like write the course of their world. And then you just never hear anything about that anymore. And so I, I like that she picked up that thread in William Shatner's uh, Star Trek novels. He's got a trilogy. That's a mirror mirror universe trilogy. And that all deals a lot with him, like teaming up again with that mirror Spock and, I love those books. So like if William Shatner, I think has nine or 10 Star Trek books that are all like one continuous series and uh, called the Shatner verse is what people usually refer to him as. They're all fun. They're pretty self-indulgent, you know, where Kirk is basically just a superhero in all of these, but uh, it's still, it still makes for a pretty good, a pretty good trilogy. But yeah, that's, that's called the mirror universe trilogy by William Shatner. 
I appreciated that she picked up that thread in this book and tied it into the original Mirror episode. And it, like I said, it, I, to me, it did feel like it kind of filled that gap of not having any any Mirror stories happening within the next-gen crew. Yeah. That's, I'm going to have to pick up some more Star Trek books because it was good. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> we've been talking about this for weeks, that like while we've been you know, in quarantine and, you know, like limiting our, our going out and everything. I have just had basically a book block. And so most, I feel like of what I've been reading is I've read a lot of Star Trek books. I've read a lot of Star Trek yeah, books yeah. because they, because, you know, you know, the characters. So like right away, you've got kind of a foothold into the world and it just, they're quick and they're easy and they're fun. And, you know, they, the best of them feel you know, like episodes from the classic series. So I, I always feel like that's a good way to break if you're having trouble starting a book or, um, you know, are, are just like right now, I've just been, not been in the zone to do a lot of heavy thinking uh, because I feel like I'm consumed with heavy thinking about everything else happening in the world. True, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, that's been my go-to because it really, it, it's it's quick and it shakes you out of it. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've liked that a lot, but yeah, I, uh, we, we have tons in the collection because I can't bear when yes, we get, we do. when we get donations that we don't have, I can't, I can't help but add them to the collection. So, uh, yes, we do have quite a few. Uh, I made a list of some of my favorites here. Do you think you'd stick with next gen Jess, if you were going to go and, uh, and read more Star Trek? I would probably at least start with next gen yeah. just because of the familiarity and then right. probably branch out from there. Yeah. I have uh, I have a list here of some some of my favorites and there's so many more than this but um, th- these are some of the top ones I have for each series. So my favorite next gen novel is one called Amzadi and it's um, it starts in the future where an older Will Riker is just distraught about Deanna Troy having died at some some point in the past and he gets this idea of using the Guardian of Forever, which is something from the original series, a time travel mechanism to go back and like stop what happened to Deanna. And that's the, that's the frame of this story. So it's like a time travel uh, adventure and it focuses a lot on the Riker Troy dynamic, which I always like. So that's my favorite next gen book. Classic series, I would say Vulcan's Glory by DC Fontana or The Entropy Effect by Vonda McIntyre. Entropy Effect is another time travel story because I'm a sucker for those. <laughs> Deep Space Nine, I would recommend Beyond the Stars by Stephen Barnes. That's based on an episode, which I guess you've seen if you've seen all of Deep Space Nine. I've never seen the episode, but it's one where the characters are all, it's set in the 50s and they're working at a science fiction magazine yes (laughs) how's the episode because the book is great yeah i thought it was neat the book is so i mean stephen barnes is a pretty well-respected sci-fi author we've talked a little bit about this on the show but uh naacp award-winning author and you know pretty pretty well respected in the sci-fi community um and he really leans heavy into like the racial injustice of the 50s which, uh, you know, we were kind of surprised to find in a, in a Star Trek book, but he just does it so well. So um, that's the Deep Space Nine book I'd recommend. I think even if you've seen the episode, uh, it's a lot more fleshed out than you see on the screen. For Voyager, which is my favorite, that's, I mean, I, I, I can't escape the, like, original Kirk movies. I feel like those six movies are my absolute favorite of all Star Trek. But uh, Voyager was the series that I watched. All My whole dorm floor would watch Voyager. It was on at midnight, and we would watch it, like, every oh. night. I know. Nice. That tells you how young we were, because we could watch something at midnight and then just get up and go to class the next day. But, yeah, that's that's a great one. Um, Spirit Walk by Christy Golden. It's a two-book series. It's set right after the, the finale of Voyager, so that's a lot of fun. For Enterprise, I would recommend Buy the Book by Dean Wesley Smith. It's a first contact story and also has half the crew playing like an RPG type game. 
it's just a fun little parallel between the two. Uh, oh, for that's just, neat. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. And you said you've only seen a few. I haven't seen all of Enterprise either. Yeah, I caught just a couple okay. when Evan was watching it. You know, I always enjoy it when I watch it. I've just never... It's never been like, I ha- I must sit down and watch all of Enterprise. And truthfully, I haven't seen much of Deep Space Nine either. Maybe you're a better, right. Star- Maybe you're a better one... Star Trek fan than me. I don't know. <laughs> Each one takes me so long to get into because I was such a next-gen fan. Yeah. And so we decided to go on to the other ones. And so like we started Deep Space Nine and I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. I don't mm-hmm. know these people. Yeah. Like, this is going to take me so long. And I have a few episodes then I'm like, all right, we're not mind, we're good. Yeah. Space it happened Nine, again with Voyager. <laughs> I love, I mean, Voyager, I, I've always loved. So uh, that one, I, that one hooked me really quickly. Deep Space Nine is is one that I, ne- I like, I, I think I've seen scattered episodes and Hillary and I recently have watched like maybe the first 10 episodes since we've been quarantined. But it is a very jarring jump from next gen. And it's different just because it's, it's not so much set on a ship. It's right. on the space station. Yeah. And so it's, but there's so many, there's a lot of next gen tie-ins with um, yeah. O'Brien. Sure. And yeah. then halfway through Worf comes in. Sure. It's a regular. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't but, think I've ever seen an episode with Worf. So maybe. Yeah, he's maybe. out halfway through the season. Yeah. Like the, oh, the, not the, yeah, the entire series, I should say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I always intend to, uh, but let's see. Let's, where else? What else do I got here? Well, Discovery. So Discovery, you haven't got into at all yet, right? Not yet. My favorite of that book series so far has been one called Fear Itself by James Swallow. Uh, so where are you in your Star Trek watching right now, then? Are you are you picking up anything new or you've, you've finished with Voyager and you're nope. just waiting? I'm just waiting. Um, okay. I see the Discovery DVDs at the library a mm-hmm. lot, and mm-hmm. I'm like, ah. Maybe I should. Oh, one of these days I'll get yeah. them. I did think. Are you more anxious to watch Picard? If I was to choose between the two of them, probably Picard. Okay. Just because of that connection. Yeah. All right. Well, the book that we were discussing, uh, again, for the book club this week is Dark Mirror by Diane Duane. That's going to be on the 18th in the afternoon. And what we're doing for this book club, I mean, we have copies that have been available uh, down at the curbside pickup location here in the auditorium. Uh, but for this book club, we are gonna we're gonna focus on this book. But we're just gonna have sort of a general Star Trek talk, basically like we did just now. Only if you want to come to that, you can participate. Uh, so if you haven't read the book but you want to join us for the book club, come on down because you know we're gonna talk about all things Star Trek and just kind of hang out with masks and prepackaged snacks, right, Jess? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Jess, thanks for joining us here again on the All the Book Show. Thanks for having me. So what do you think, Eric? Did you make the right decision in skipping this book club? Uh, what was that one Star Trek book I read? Yes. You know what? We should talk about that because when we back when we did our episode when Picard was coming out, you read a next the next-gen manga, and we forgot to talk about it on the podcast. So we That's can talk hilarious. about it right now. Were you a fan of that manga? I was a fan of one or two of the stories in there, but next-gen is not the series that you put into a manga no i think you're right there's three volumes of the kirk era and that's pretty good but that, yeah, that yeah, the, the next gen one didn't work quite as well there was a wesley crusher story that was weirdly good do you remember that yeah yeah that was the one that i liked yeah it was a fun audiobook though i know you're not like a big audiobook fan but i think you would have enjoyed john delance who told you reading <laughs> <laughs> reading of this uh mirror universe story but uh hey when did this book come out i feel like 90s but i'm not sure I mean, it must have been after David Brin's, oh, Uplift series, but like the whole dolphin. Oh, yeah. The whole sentient dolphin thing. Yes. I mean, that's that's Uplift stuff. 
Well, so. I kind of wondered because uh, Diane Duane, I mean, she has her own YA fantasy series, and I kind of wondered if that was something that was coming out mm. of uh, something else that she wrote, but I wasn't sure. 93 is when the book came out. Yeah, but it that's really interesting. Was... Were there any scenes where she's like, I sense you don't like that I'm evil? Well, <laughs> it was kind of funny. It was like... They had to all, like, real Deanna Troy was telling everybody, like, just think about, like, poetry or think about, like, really strong emotions to, like, block her out. And so there were several times where Picard, regular Picard, was with mere Deanna, and he had to just, like, keep really aggressively quoting poetry in his head. And she was like, what are you, what, what is going on? What are you doing? You know, so it was kind of, it was kind of funny. It was kind That's of funny. silly. Yes. yes. The only way to elicit emotion in the next gen universe, think yeah. of the poetry you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, but I do think the the dolphin thing, and in that Young Wizard series she has, they are like, there are dolphin wizards. So I got to think that was just mm. kind of a carryover from she, there. But. She just said dolphin. She's got to get dolphins in wherever yeah. she's reading. You no, know, it did. Whatever she's writing. No, it was, a, it, was, it was a pretty good time. And it was kind of nice to see like the mirror versions of Next Gen. I know there's a whole graphic novel series that picks up later. And that might work a little better, like in graphic novel format. I think it'll be a good one to discuss in the book club because you can talk a lot about the characters. Does it fit into continuity anywhere? Well, I don't think it does because, I mean, first of all, it, it kind of tells the aftermath of the original series episodes with Kirk and Spock. So he talks a little bit about that. But Deep Space Nine, like right after this, did a whole thing with the Mirror Universe. And nothing that really happens in here gels with what they did in Deep Space Nine. Right. So I don't really think that it does. But, you know, it just as a standalone novel. I think it, I think it still worked pretty well. It was kind of cool that... Mm-hmm. In the old episodes, the mirror Spock is the one that has the most, I don't know, the, the most potential to like do good. And in this one, it was Worf because the, in, in mm-hmm. the mirror universe, Klingons were basically enslaved, but like they had mm. sort of maintained their honor and integrity. And Worf was the character who kind of helped them and was the one who you leave the novel thinking like, well, maybe at least mirror Worf will be okay. I thought that was an interesting choice <laughs> to have Worf be that person, you know? Right. So we'll see. We'll see if people enjoy the book club, which is happening on the 18th, and maybe we'll do it again sometime. Who knows? Uh, I feel like I was remiss in not pointing out that you're wearing a pretty sick Mr. Sinister shirt from the X. I am. He's I not, don't know if he there's doesn't a... top my list, but that shirt is fire, so hats off. Thanks. Yeah. The, the origin of this shirt purchase yes. is yes. I got a really awesome X-Men shirt yeah. that had kind of the 90s art style of all the characters, everybody's on it. Big people from the, I mean, Apocalypse is there in the background. Mystique is there. Sabretooth, Juggernaut, the Sentinel, like all the, all the X-Men, all these villains. And Mr. Sinister is not on the shirt. And it seems like whoever did it has something against Sinister. Cause Hmm. I can't think of a reason why he's not there. Weird. So, uh, I had to just go and find a solo Mr. Sinister shirt. And you did, you did. I sure did. Respect. All right. What do you want to talk about next week? Gosh, I don't know. Are we doing our Shakespeare episode or our dogs episode? Mm, boy, that's a good that's a good question. Shakespeare or dogs? It's like apples to <laughs> apples, right? Yeah, is there a good dog one. story that's a interpretation of Shakespeare? I, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I I have to believe that Wishbone has done some Shakespeare work. Oh, probably. Yeah, don't you think? yeah, the yeah. twelve 
Twelfth Night or Hopefully something. Hopefully not Romeo and Juliet. I feel like that would be. Oh, I'm I'm sure that's the thing. Is that Wishbone was so weird that it always had Wishbone in the lead. Yeah. But then the romance was always still human. Yeah. So it was always just this woman being like, "My dear," and like, a "I'm a dog." That's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, All it right. was always such a strange oversight. But I, they never just had another like trained dog being like, "My dear." It was always the. It was like the Muppets, but not as. Cute. <laughs> right. Less cute. Uh, yeah. Well, I think on that note, we'll sign off, leaving our listeners to ponder that note. <laughs> wish, Wishbone's failed uh, dog-human romance. All right, that's going to do it for yeah. this week's episode yeah. of the All the Book Show. Thanks to Jessica Weisscheck. Uh, Jess, come back anytime. We'll talk more Star Trek, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.